Hey, Jailbirds! Welcome back to Jailbird Chronicles. I'm Ashley. And I'm Brittany, and we're two forensic social workers getting chatty about criminal justice. Jailbird Chronicles. It seems like in all of these in all of these plans for advocacy and jails and criminal justice reform that correction officers have kind of been shifted over to being kind of like the villains of the jail or something in my opinion like as if they were the ones that incarcerated the guys right or or like did something wrong to them like i don't i don't really understand how it got to that place i mean yeah i'm sure there there definitely are some correction officers who aren't doing the right thing all the time um or at all but i don't know how that became like the face of correction officers right and maybe it's just like i mean i know for both myself and you like for the most part, we've worked with really great officers. Like, we have worked with officers that, I mean, I'm not saying they're perfect by any means, but they're not also people that sit there and you would think, like, what the media makes out, which is, like, beat on guys and all of these things. Like, anyone that I'm still close with or friendly with, like, none of them have ever talked about that, done that shown that kind of mentality me too i mean i've i've never witnessed um officers just like beating up the inmates like how sometimes they're portrayed like they're instigating stuff i mean i have seen an officer here or there you know engage in going back and forth with an inmate and you know I've had to you know check them and be like hey remember just let him do his thing you don't need to go back and forth with him but the severe cases that people seem to be holding on to and portraying as the way correction officers treat inmates in my experience at in this day and age have really been false yeah and so um for anyone who doesn't know there's this like we call it old doc and new doc at least on the island and it's one of Mm -hmm. those where it's like you know if you didn't start under old doc like you never almost never kind of knew what it was like when the jails weren't slightly out of control came in only under new DOC kind of only know this department as only slightly had not having full control over the jails themselves. But it's just so crazy because yes, there were things in the past. It's not to discredit the fact that things 1000% have happened and I know people gone through it, but especially recently like 
it's so like weird to say I guess as someone who is on like bullets but like my officers aren't allowed to basically do anything to help discipline or keep things Mm -hmm. under control so it gets really hard when they're like he did that to you and I want to help but I can't or he did that to another patient so like patient on patient violence and like I can't do anything about that right because I feel like a lot of the advocacy work it, it just really takes away the support that officers have from from the administration from the community they don't really have people to back them up and yeah you could say well the correction officers they have their union but the union can't can only be so helpful in situations where the community and legislators are putting things in place without fully understanding how correctional facilities are to be run and without it's like they're not remembering that correction officers are there to maintain a secure environment that means a secure environment for themselves for the other people who work there for the people who are advocating for these people and come and visit and also for the people who are incarcerated there. Right. So there, I mean, at least for the city, there are three C's that the corrections officers go by and that's care, custody and control. Mm -hmm. And right now we have none of those three because we physically can't because the law is being made for us by people who have never worked been in or know someone that's either been incarcerated or been an officer. Yeah. And I just feel, I feel like I understand that people who advocate and they're, you know, trying to make efforts in criminal justice reform. I understand that they might have the, the, perception that you know they're giving the inmates a voice and the correction officers they have a voice they have their union they're not incarcerated people will listen to them but their voices I feel like are usually silent because anytime they want to stand up for themselves or complain I hear a lot of well you well they signed up for it you signed up for this or that when you took the job as correction officer or they're put in these positions where not positions, but it's like people are saying that they're the ones doing the wrong thing all the time. When in in all honesty, majority of correction officers are just human beings trying to go to work, make it out of work safely, go home to their family and get their paycheck, just like anyone else. Right. And like to say that they signed up for it, then that would be a flip around and be like, well, then NYPD signed up for, you know, X, Y, and Z. But if that were to be said, then it's like, well, you can't expect the cops to protect you, but then also say blank. And it's like, okay, but like, That's also when there's that whole other situation and that issue between cops versus corrections officers where, like, yeah, it's a whole other 
<laughs> ball game that like instantly agitates me so I probably shouldn't even talk about it in this episode because it's something that very much agitates me but if you say that about any other profession I mean even as forensic social workers that work in jails we get that well you signed up for it you work mm-hmm. in jail you should have known you were going to be assaulted you should have known that one day someone was going to throw their piss on you you should have known that one day that someone might punch you in the face like, no, that's not what I signed up for. No one signs up to be assaulted on a daily basis. Right. I think that there is such a imbalance of making sure that you see the inmates as humans. And yes, they are humans and we should see them as humans, which we do as workers going in there um, every day and providing services. But that doesn't take away from the humanness of correction officers, meaning correction officers are humans. They make mistakes. They need to rest. They have sometimes they have breaking points. They, for the most part, I've seen a lot of correction officers I worked with really hold their composure in a lot of situations that they have to deal with day in and day out. That is the understatement of the century. And it's like, what I need people to realize a lot of the times is like, these corrections officers are the same people that live in your neighborhoods, live in the neighborhoods as the people that they're currently having care, custody, and control over. These are the people that live next door to you. And it's not like with NYPD where they walk out and all of them have guns at the end of the day. All the, it's not like that. They go to work. They do their eight hours. They're probably doing almost a full 24 hours. And they're coming home. That's what it is. They don't have weapons on the inside. They don't have all of these things that they can use to protect themselves at all. And it's not to say that they don't do screwed up things because I know a couple of stories of officers doing very screwed up things. But at the end of the day, it's like this like small minority makes enough noise for the majority. Mm -hmm. And it's just not fair. I mean, I'm friends with some of these people in real life. Like they're just not my protectors to a point. They're my protectors and they're my friends. And I know there's a good chunk of them. I couldn't imagine being friends with someone that would just go into work one day and decide, like, let me beat every inmate that comes into my path. And a lot, a lot of the times, if because of a lot of the legislation, if an inmate were to do something to violate a CO, a CO can't really respond really all they have is their spray and they get in trouble for using their spray correct so how are they supposed to keep a secure and safe environment for the inmates for themselves for the other workers so that the inmates could get services so that the inmates could get their food so that the inmates could get their commissary so that the inmates could get their treatments How are they supposed to do that if there's no way to regulate the inmates' 
bad behavior. Not that they always behave badly, but when they do. They can't. And that has been basically what has become the major issue and problem for us, which is you keep telling them that they're doing the wrong thing and punishing. Like I've had officers who sprayed, got in trouble for using the spray, but then also got in trouble for not using the spray fast enough. I was actually just thinking of that situation because I know what you're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, the hell? Like, the fuck? Like, how do you yell at someone for... By the way, this patient at the time was self-injuring. And they tried to talk him down for an extensive period of time before doing anything else. But our goal, unfortunately, at the end of the day, and I'm not saying it's right, is to make sure that this patient does not injure themselves. And so I can't go do anything because they don't want me to get injured. They don't know what level this patient's at. And so eventually they sprayed, but they also got in trouble for not spraying fast enough. And it's like, well, pick one. What do you want them to do? It's a double-edged sword because that CO would have gotten in trouble for spraying, but he got in trouble for not spraying fast enough. I mean, even at the DC jail, while I was there, there were rules and regulations being put in place that took away and took away and took away more and more um, of the CO's abilities to make sure that the environment remains safe. I have to say... I, in my experience working in on Rikers Island, I have never seen behavior from inmates like I have seen when I went to the correctional detention facility here in D.C. They are running amok. There are more than maybe around 100 inmates in each unit. They're swinging off the tiers. They're throwing feces. They're jacking off. They're 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 running around disrespecting the COs from the top tier, throwing buckets of feces and urine on the COs, and the COs cannot respond to that. They just have to take it. They cannot spray. They cannot, they have to keep their composure and cool. They can't do anything. What would, and this isn't for you. This is just for the people listening who feel like it's best to remove these abilities from the COs. What would you do if you were at work just trying to do your job and someone threw a bucket of their feces and urine on you. Right. Because I can promise you from someone who has had an unknown substance thrown on them, it is by far one of the most disgusting experiences of my entire life. And 
a lot of the time the administration doesn't know what to do. So they don't really do pushback on those things to protect the COs and protect the fact that correctional facilities have to remain secure environments. And when you have situations where like the union is standing up for you, the amount of pushback they get from legislators, from council people, from Congress people is, is insane. Right. And like, it's not like when this stuff happens, you can just like go home. It's like, no, go to medical, sometimes get a workup, maybe depending on what it is. And then just go to your locker, get your other uniform, put it on and go back. And you have to write. Um, when an incident like that happens, the COs have to write. You know what COs don't like to do? They don't like to have to sit there, especially after their tour has finished, and spend two hours writing up a report on what happened. So a lot of the time they're going to try to avoid those situations. Right. Because writing isn't just like, oh, let me write this little report. Mm -mm. Listen, I alone, not an officer, had to sit and write for like an hour. I've had to do that a couple times. Let alone anything else. Mm -hmm. And that was just getting splashed with bodily fluids. There's been multiple times where I've had to sit there and write for at least an hour and then send an email with all of the details of what happened to me and then respond to repetitive emails after the fact asking me more questions. Yep. Like as if I want to talk about it more. So it's not like majority of them are seriously in these situations where they have to use force or respond in some way to maintain security. Um, trust me, they're not, they're not trying to write. So if they could avoid these situations, trust me, they, they would. Right. I mean, they're already being stuck on, I mean, so on your first and your last, so for the most part, officers work four days on two days off. This is in New York city corrections. Yes. So that means you're working four days and then you're off two days and your schedule like constantly rotates. So you'll work like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, off Friday, Saturday, work Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so on and so forth. And usually on your first shift and your last shift, you're bound to work a double. That was kind of always like expected. Expected. You can get money in the middle. You can only work a certain number of hours per week whatever um but right now with the crisis that we're in you're having people being assaulted threatened all of these things and then they're like oh that was on your first tour we call shifts tours like oh go work another two by the way and maybe you'll go into your fourth so maybe you'll work almost a full 24 hours but then oh wait you have to come back the next day and we want you to be at your full maximum capacity Right. And some officers, they're supposed to get meal reliefs. Um, Sometimes those meal reliefs don't show up. A lot of times, um, depending on the facility, you might be on a double and 
they just don't send anyone to relieve you. And especially with this issue now, you see majority of the correction officers working in New York City corrections are getting stuck on triple shifts. Sometimes even more than that. Some people are working 25 hours straight. These are people that have families. When you're working in a correctional facility, especially if you're not getting meal relief, you don't have your phone with you. So if you have kids, you don't have anyone to reach out to. You don't have, you're not, you're not able to reach out to anyone. You're not able to reach out to anyone to let them know that you're okay or you're going to be late or whatever it is. I mean, imagine going into work at 7 a.m. And not getting out of work until 8, 9 a.m. the next day. And during that whole time, you are expected to work at your full capacity as if you have gotten the adequate amount of rest and meal times. Right. And that's to also saying that you have to hope that both parents are not corrections officers. True. It's just like you have to hope that like you have caretakers. For your children. Yep. Which is disgusting, but it's always their fault. So I guess, you know, whatever. And another thing, too, is that um, a lot of the time, especially during the pandemic, what I was seeing is that the officers and also just the regular staff, myself included, we were not properly given um, the necessary PPE. Um, We didn't have masks for a long time. It was hard to get masks. It was hard to get um, hand sanitizers. Um, I know that when they didn't have enough masks to give everyone, a correction officer went into a unit where people were positive and could not get a mask and ended up contracting COVID. And there was also a councilman who was talking to the president of COBA, who's in, um, COBA is the correction officers union in New York. And I guess there was a mention of the officers not having um, gas masks and he was trying to say that's not true and it's their fault anyway that they would need gas masks because they're the ones who are spraying tear gas then just don't spray tear gas. Uh, First of all, calm down. It's OC. Second of all, that's the only way that they can secure an area if there's an issue there that for the most part officers that I've worked with have done a really good job at knowing that they have to be in this one place where they have to deal with these people and just like maintaining their sanity in it right and their composure because it's not just inmates I mean if you had to work anywhere and work 12, 16, 24 hours sitting in the same spot with the same people doing God knows what because they get bored or whatever. 
it's, it's a lot. It's very taxing on a person. Right. Because it's not like you're just like sitting there and everyone's like peaceful and calm. You're sitting there and you're getting called everything but your name. I'm just wondering where is the empathy toward these humans also if you put yourself in this position talking to the audience to really reflect on this if you put yourself in the position of someone constantly calling you names someone constantly threatening your life not only your life but your mother's life your children's life your 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 grandma's life how would you react if you have to stay locked up with these people, maintain your professional composure day in and day out? We're not just talking like one day. Oh, yeah, I could do it for one day because, you know, whatever. It's just one day. No. Day in and day out. These same people over and over again. So I think that a little bit more credit has to be given to those officers who maintain their composure and continue to be empathetic. I mean, I've worked with a lot of really great officers, but when I went over to the mental observation jail and I had two units on that jail in that jail, um, I, watched how the officers would respond to the inmates would develop you know working relationships with them would understand them would know okay this this person he's he's pacing i got to see i got to see what's going on with him because he he doesn't usually do that really pays attention to the way that they are moving knows how to intervene and say, hey, you okay? Like, what's going on? While also having other inmates yelling in in their face about who even knows what, but maintaining their composure, remembering where they are, remembering that they have to be, be professional and still showing empathy towards these people. It is possible. We've both seen it done. I mean, it does happen, but that's contrary to what people in the community are are showing. Because it's easier to make a bunch of people villains than it is to sit back and readily and fully admit that everyone involved in the situation is human. I'm a human. You're a human. The guys that we work with are humans. And... Everyone understands that. The only people that don't seem to understand that we understand that are the people that have never, ever in their life worked with us or seen how we move and how everyone in this island moves. And it's unfortunate because the truth is, is I've never, I mean, I have interacted with officers that are assholes, but usually they're assholes to me. Yeah, assholes to like my patients that just treat me like actual shit (laughs) yeah that's true but 
I just, I, I just hate when people are like, well, you know, CEOs, they work, they're getting a paycheck. They, they took the job. They signed up for this. Let us not forget that when you commit a crime, you sign up for the possibility of being arrested and therefore incarcerated. Correct. So if you're saying that COs sign up for this, that the mental health providers who decide to go and work in jails to serve that underserved population, we signed up for that. The inmates signed up for it too. I mean, it's just all around. Correct. But that's also then to say that you know, so for anyone who doesn't know, unfortunately, assaults on female officers, specifically sexual assaults, have drastically gone up, as well as physical assaults on officers and brutal physical assaults. And so you're telling me that my friends, including myself, all signed up to get almost raped and sexually assaulted on a daily basis. Like, that's what people say. That That's the only defense that they have. It's like, don't complain about your job. You chose to do your job and just take whatever comes with it. In, in the winter, this winter, um, this past winter, 2020 to 2021, there was you know, a big, um, a big thing about um, banning punitive segregation in New York City jails. That's a topic for another time. But during that conversation with Councilman Danny Drum and the COBA president having, I don't even want to call it a discussion. Um, uh, Mr. Drum was saying how he, he was talking about um, the correction officers and, you know, they shouldn't be administering the OC spray. That's like the pepper spray. And um, the COBA president said that at that time, which I'm sure it's gone up since then um just based on everything that just based on the knowledge of what's been happening in the new york city jails um slashings are up 16 percent slashings for anyone who doesn't know is when someone takes any sharp object a blade a shank whatever it may be that they can use to cut something and cuts someone else in the face and the neck and anywhere um slashings are up 16 percent and assault on correction officers are up 15 percent that's what the COBA president said and Mr. Drum's response to the COBA president was that well then the COs are doing something wrong shortly after that um there was I was informed of an incident in which a correction officer opened the door 
of an inmate cell to let him out for his recreation time. And as soon as the correction officer opened the door, the inmate attacked him, Mm. violently attacked him. Um, Two other correction officers ran over to assist. All of those correction officers were injured. Um, The correction officer who opened the door was injured very badly. I forgot what his injuries were, but he was injured badly. And I remember just looking at it and going, you know, I'm sarcastic. Um, I was reading that and I said, he must have opened that door too fast or too loud or something because it's always his fault. It's always the correction officer's fault. Yeah, always. Like as if people who had a mind of their own to get incarcerated and yeah sometimes they're they're down and out they they aren't in their right mind when they're doing things in the community or even when they're incarcerated but that's not the case for anyone and some inmates are in sound mind and they're truly violent people I've worked with some inmates who are truly violent people they were never violent with me I saw good sides of them but They come from where they come from. Those issues don't get addressed anywhere. No. And they act the way they act. And it's just terrible that the response to assaults on COs is up 15% is, well, then the COs are doing something wrong. Right. And so just even more information, I guess you could say. There's a difference between a slashing and a stabbing. Mm-hmm. They're two very different things. Um, I guess because I've worked there for as long as I have and experienced what I have, someone says a slashing and I'm like, all right, like there's going to be a blood everywhere very soon. But when someone says stabbing, usually more often than not, a stabbing and the word murder or death are linked together. And so within the last year and a half, I've experienced a stabbing of an officer, like an actual stabbing. And it was one of the, by far, besides when the jails were on fire that were also set by inmates one of the scariest experiences of my life for the pure fact that there had been so much leading up to it. Actually, wow. It was just almost about a year ago today. Um, This happened about um, a little over a year ago, like a year and two weeks this happened. And I remember having to be escorted out of the building by the warden because we did not know if we were going home that night. Because everything just kind of went crazy. And at this point, there was so much leading up to it. And everyone was really concerned about a riot. Because that's what we were going towards. And to this day, I've seen that officer since. And that officer's injury made the newspaper. And I remember looking at their injuries and being like, I don't know if they're going to have a hand after this. That was 
that time was literally like to me in my mind that was like the week of just pure hell yeah just officers were getting attacked one of the officers that you and I actually knew not well but we knew him he was jumped by inmates his from what I heard his orbital bone was broken um there was another officer who was slashed three times twice in the head once in the neck by inmates and then there was that female officer who was attacked and stabbed yeah by by the inmates and this is i mean this type of stuff happens at the dc jail also there were when i was there um there was a significant incident where some inmates had jumped a co and really like broke his jaw and caused some other injuries to him where he was in the hospital for quite some time when i first went over to work in um the the mental observation gym. my first week the, there i saw two officers get carried out on stretchers oh that's a common place for me at this point like very common place and it's it also becomes very stressful when like you know some of these officers are my friends and like if you could physically see me right now like slightly remembering all of these things it's very triggering at times um but you're thinking that these are some of your friends and when you're not really sure who it is and rumors are starting to float around and then you don't see that officer for maybe a few days because they're on vacation like I had originally thought that one of my friends was the person stabbed and for days I was panicking and stressed out and overwhelmed and I remember looking at one of my other friends and being like if that was her like I'm gonna lose my mind because at that point where I was we had been going through these things and these intense, intense, like, gang wars. And that's actually what it was. It was a, it was a gang war. It was a crip on crip war, which is, like, a, a whole other story. But it was one of those things where it was, like, like, not only is this tragic because this should never happen to anyone. doesn't matter who it is, inmate or officer or civilian staff. But this could be someone I love. And like, this isn't just how I feel about officers. Like I get very overwhelmed and stressed out when I think it's one of my patients and especially a patient that, you know, say doesn't bother anyone. But when it's someone that you genuinely love and care about, it is a very interesting, overwhelming, stressful feeling. And these correction officers are humans too. The inmates are humans. I mean, a lot of the time, majority of the time, when there is some type of physical altercation or an assault on a CO, 
it's not the CEO instigating or provoking that. If a CEO gets hurt due to a physical altercation, that sometimes happens when there is an alarm, which that's what they call it in New York City's jails. Um, An alarm when they have to rush in because there's some type of fight broke out on a unit or there's some type of issue that needs response from a larger team. Um, Sometimes they go into those and because the inmates are all worked up already, it ends up in physical altercations where then those individuals, yeah, they do have to use their OC spray because that's kind of the resort that they have to rely on to keep themselves safe. And I think that COs do have a right to defend themselves and keep themselves safe. Because if we have these COs that keep dropping like flies because they're getting injured in these situations that they're trying to avoid with the inmates and they get injured, you're going to have less and less people there to keep the facility secure, keep the facility secure for each other, keep the securities um, secure for me, for the people who are doing medical, for the other people who are going in doing education, doing programming, and keep the facility secure for the inmates. Right. At, at the end of the day, let's let's just be real. Jail is not a playground. You go there because you did something or you were caught up in something. And if you're there for an extended amount of time, that really sucks. But that's on the judicial system, not the jail system. Correct. And they can only hold you there as long as the the judge or the court is allowing you to be held there. So they officers have the right to maintain order in those places. If you don't like structure and you don't like being told what to do and when to do it, you know, that that's for for to go with what everyone else is saying, that's what you sign up for. You know, when you when you do something to warrant you having to go to jail. Correct. And like I mean and not that anyone signs up for the physical abuse, but I'm sorry. And this, no one, no female in their right mind signs up to almost get raped on a daily basis. Recently, they protested outside on the other side of the bridge in front of the Riker sign because sexual assaults and rapes attempted rapes on female officers have gone up astronomically and just this year I myself had to come to the realization that I and saying this out loud still gets me I have been the victim of sexual assault and I never thought I could say that because I thought that's what I signed up for I didn't sign up for that no one signed up for that. But there is an increase in these things. Also in inmate on inmate assaults, which are up 
over 258% in the last year. Statistics from New York City DOC. Um, Not surprisingly, I couldn't find any statistics on DC DOC, but okay. Um, (laughs) That these things are going up because there is nothing wrong with advocacy in the criminal justice system. There needs to be advocacy to reform the criminal justice system. However, you cannot tell people and advocate for the removal of something without putting something in its place. So if you don't have something to offer to say, you know what, this will work. And let's stop comparing our correction system to the correction system of other countries. Other countries, citizens, free citizens are treated differently than us citizens are treated here in America. Their expectations of their citizens are different than the expectations here. Their communities are different than what they are here. You can't compare and say, oh, in Germany, they do this. What's going on in Germany isn't going to work for here. America is a broken system to begin with. And then you have this other broken that you're putting people in because they've committed a crime or they're suspected of being committed a crime or whatever it is. Or they're homeless or they're mentally ill. Right. And you're saying... Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't don't respond physically to them. Don't use your OC spray. Don't use this as a consequence or as a punishment. And you're saying, take this away, take this away, take this away. But you are not offering anything to put back in its place. Because at the end of the day, regardless of it's in jail or it's not in jail or it's with children or it's in a school, people need consequences so that they can understand how to change their behavior and that their behavior isn't wrong. That's not going to, that's not going to rest with everyone. Not everyone's going to get it regardless of what you do. But my, my biggest thing is that there's so much failure and the criminal justice system, the correctional facilities are becoming so much more dangerous Because consequences are being taken away for bad and heinous behavior without anything being put in its place as a consequence. No one's offering solutions. You're just saying what's wrong and what needs to be taken away. You have to put something in its place if you're going to take something away. It just, it, it boggles my mind and I was having this conversation with people the other day, which was like, yes, to a point you get into custody and you do have to become like inherently more violent. Like it's something that just has to happen to survive. A lot of these guys wouldn't do half of the stuff they do while incarcerated on the streets. That's just what it is. But because we have what we have and this is the system that was set up for years and it has absolutely nothing to do with officers you got to think of something else because this isn't working it's just not 
I mean, I agree that, you know, maybe in that environment, they act more violently than they would on the street. However, I do believe that people who act violently in jail did not just become violent. Not everyone, I don't think, just became violent just by going into jail. I think that people are also products of their community and their upbringing and how they were raised and everything. Yeah, no, there are definitely patients that I've interacted with that were violent, always will be violent, always have been violent, and that's just going to be unfortunately who they are for their whole life and I can name a few off the top of my head I think that when it comes to female officers they already have the pressure of making sure that they're seen as being equal to their male counterparts who are doing the exact same job as them um So they have to do, and being females, they have to do a little bit more to maintain their boundaries because you have female officers in male facilities. I mean, they get things done and said to them on a daily basis. Um, You have female officers in female facilities. A lot of times those females are going to challenge those female officers Yep. Um, when I forgot which jail it was in, but when you and I worked in the sentence jail, there was that incident with the female officer when she was she was working with the a couple of the inmates who. I don't know if they were doing passing out like meal trays or if they were working in the pantry or something. And one of the inmates said to her, someone dropped their radio in the closet. So she went back in to get it. And that inmate went into that closet with her and shut the door. Um, I don't know if it was the other inmates who ended up getting into the closet to help her out. They ended up breaking the door down. They broke the door down and he, that inmate that got her in the closet had already strangled her with his, with her sweater. Right. And she was like unconscious and he was about to rape her. Yes. I thought you were going to talk about that time that that officer had the patient wrap his hands up. Well, actually, it was a female. It was a transgender female patient um, wrapped his hand around her ponytail, pulled her head back and repeatedly punched her in the face. There was that even um, you remember one of the officers that worked in uh, the clinic didn't that particular inmate who was down in the vulnerable population um, unit, didn't he touch her or something? Yes, he grabbed her butt and then said that she was giving him a massage. And 
I mean, my whole thing is, is the community not getting these stories or are they not opening their minds big enough to on to understand that this happens or do they want to be ignorant to it because it's just easier to do the type of advocacy that they're doing or like I, I I'm not I'm not really you know understanding what the disconnect is and the fact that correction officers need supports and advocacy too I I think that a lot of the advocacy efforts are great and I'm appreciative for these agencies that have the passion to fix this broken system, but you need to see the system as a whole, not just from one angle. You have to see every angle if you're going to reform this system, if you're going to reform these facilities and how they're run. You have to understand corrections. You have to understand the point and the purpose of corrections. You have to understand this country and that this country wasn't built to be like any other country. It wasn't built treating their citizens like other countries treat their citizens when you want to make comparisons about how jails are run in other places. Right. And it's not, I'm not going to sit here and say that they're all perfect and they all deserve a break. No, there are assholes. Don't get me wrong. There are assholes. They are everywhere. Everyone's got one. Every job has them. They exist. I'm not going to sit here and tell you they don't because I would be lying. They absolutely do. But what I'm saying is you can't just be like, well, going to only listen to this person's side. Doesn't work either doesn't work at all right you really have to understand everything and understand it from all different viewpoints not just the one that you choose or the one that's more trendy at the time right there are two sides to every story the truth probably falls somewhere in the middle but (laughs) There are two sides to every story. Listen, in the story of the criminal justice system, there's way more than two sides. That's it for us today. Follow us on Instagram at Jailbird Chronicles. I'm Ashley. And I'm Brittany. Join us next week on Jailbird Chronicles. Lights out, Jailbirds. (laughs)